My godmother, Aunt Becky, spent her career as a caterer, but her vocation was hospitality. At the reception after her funeral, I heard a story from a neighbor that perfectly captured how she could not help but host, no matter the circumstance. Aunt Becky had a myriad of health problems her entire life, and they only became more complicated with age. Driving was out of the question, and so she had to rely on the generosity of family, friends, neighbors, and sometimes strangers. One summer weekend, the ride she was scheduled to have to her weekend home canceled at the last minute, and she was to host a dinner party the next night and hated to cancel on her guests. Remembering that the neighbors of her home in Delaware also happened to live in D.C., she called them out of the blue to see if they might be making the trip that weekend and whether she could trouble them for a ride. They kindly agreed and picked her up the next afternoon. Aunt Becky joined her neighbors for what became the first of many rides together and a decade of friendship. She climbed into their back seat with a picnic basket full of what she would describe as simple car snacks. Melted brie on freshly warmed toast rounds, warm pig blanket, pigs in a blanket, and of course, caviar. Over the course of the drive, Aunt Becky would materialize a new hors d'oeuvre for her companions just when the traffic got bad from her Mary Poppins-like basket. Long after Aunt Becky has gone on to the eternal banquet, I am buoyed by her example. Having the humility to ask another for help, to rely on the generosity of neighbors, is not an easy thing, and yet it was her reality. And Becky did so with grace and a generosity that she could not help but share. It, was always, it is always her spirit that comes to mind when I hear the words in the letter to the Hebrews this morning. Do not neglect to show hospitality to strangers, for by doing that, some have entertained angels without knowing it. This morning, Jesus uses the framework of a parable to give shape to the eternal banquet. The banquet he described was not hyperbolic or aspirational, but rather a purposeful devaluing of the economy of capitalism and every other economy that dominates our lives in favor of the economy of grace, which Jesus embodied. He ate with those whom society discarded just as often as he dined with those who governed society. He traveled with those whom society had overlooked just as often as he met with those who held positions of power. In all that Jesus did and taught, he pointed towards a means of organizing ourselves, our resources, our time, our souls, that was based not on merit or credentials, but God's generous love. To participate in the economy of grace is to have a deep and abiding sense of your inherent worth. To participate in the economy of grace is to have an awareness that grace cannot be earned, especially by troubled, broken humans. To participate in the economy of grace is to occupy holy ground. It is an act of resistance against the messages we get from the world, from alternate economies. Orienting our lives towards grace is scandalous. Listen again to how this morning's story begins. Jesus was going to the house of a leader of the Pharisees to eat a meal on the Sabbath, and they were watching him closely. In other words, 
He was on hostile ground on the wrong day of the week. And those whom he were with, who you were dining with, were deeply, deeply suspicious of him. Now, instead of playing it cool, Jesus dominates the conversation and continues to press his point. He is not subtle. And you know from the end of the story, it doesn't end well for him. But in the midst of that scandal, Jesus stands firm upon holy ground, and he calls us to stand firm as well. It seems that one of the ways that standing firm might manifest itself is something we commonly call hospitality. This week, you've likely heard about the scheduled retirement of Dr. Anthony Fauci, who served as the chief medical advisor to the president throughout the COVID-19 pandemic. I learned something new about Dr. Fauci this week. During the AIDS epidemic, he was the director of the National Institute of Allergy and Infectious Diseases. And at the height of the AIDS crisis, many protested the government for not doing enough to help those who were dying or ill. And Dr. Fauci often bore the brunt of this anger. Leading AIDS activist Larry Kramer often attacked him by name in the media. Protesters even showed up at Dr. Fauci's house. Now, instead of dismissing or ignoring them, Dr. Fauci did something very unusual. He would invite the protesters in for dinner. Think about that for just a moment. Going out of your way to show up at someone's house full of righteous anger and hopeful that you might convince them to do more only to be completely caught off guard and invited inside to dine with the family. I can only imagine what transpired over the course of those meals. Would have loved to have been a proverbial fly on that wall. Larry Kramer eventually went on to call Fauci the only true and great hero among government officials during the AIDS crisis. But I wonder... I wonder whether Kramer offered this honorific because of his scientific work or because of the meals he hosted. Standing firm on holy ground is often a destabilizing experience. And then yet, that is the territory where Jesus leads. Let's wonder together how we might navigate our way toward the economy of grace. Think with me for a moment about a memorable performance of a musical ensemble that you witnessed. Perhaps it was a National Symphony Orchestra at the foot of the Capitol on Independence Day, or the cast of a musical that put lyrics to the history of our country, for example. What did you witness in those performers that made that a unique experience? What was activated in you that was different from every other concert or performance you've attended? One theologian attempts to describe the transcendence we witness in moments like these. Here is someone who is completely themselves, free and independent, and yet for this time, the whole of their being, their life, their freedom, their skill, is taken up with this mysterious, different thing that is the work being brought to life. The vision and imagination of another person, the composer, has to come through not displacing the human particularity of the performer, but saturating that performer's being for the time of the performance. He goes on to say, now, could we imagine what it might be like for a whole lifetime to be given up to performance in that way? 
Because that, surely, is what we're trying to say about Jesus as a human being. He is performing God's love, God's purpose, without a break, without a false note, without a stumble. Yet he is never other than himself, with all that makes him distinctly human, taken up with this creative work. If we look at great musicians, we see both the intensity of the struggle and the joy that goes with it. Whatever is happening, these performers are not becoming less human, less distinctive. In the fullness of their skill and joy, another is made present. So with Jesus, this is a human life and a human will whose power and joy is the affirmance of God who is what God wants on the performance of the word of God. Jesus is not performing in the way a musician is, but rather rather embodying that which he knows on a deeper level. Likewise, Jesus is not seeking a performance of false humility from those who already occupy a humble space. Rather, Jesus is offering an explicit invitation to the Pharisees and the eternal banquet for which he is the host. It is a subversive message that upends the honor-shame exchanges that were common in banquets. To the mature Christian listener, this portrait of the economy of grace is both nuanced and specific. C.S. Lewis once famously described a charitable person in these terms. She lived for others. You could tell by their hunted look. We all know that person. And that is decidedly not what Jesus is after. Our lessons from Holy Scripture this morning invite us to consider a few really important questions. Who is missing in our social gatherings and from our Eucharistic communities? Who would not feel welcome? How might we change our behaviors So that it is the economy of grace which guides our actions and our habits. The economy of grace looks like Dr. Fauci dining with those who deeply resented him. Or Jesus dining with the Pharisees who were plotting to kill him. The holy ground that is Jesus' economy of grace comes to life in the smallest of moments. And in gestures that are easy to overlook. No matter your stage of life or your discomfort in hosting, it is our calling to participate in God's economy of grace, truly seeing and celebrating the belovedness of all God's people. Friends, there is so much good news this morning. It is not our banquet to host. God has set the table, and Jesus is the one who has issued the invitation. We have the joy of simply sharing all that has been placed before us by God. Amen.